In July 2020, tens of thousands of passionate and committed people from around the globe will convene in San Francisco and Oakland at the 23rd International AIDS Conference. This gathering among the world's largest conferences will happen during a critical year when global goals for the fight against HIV AIDS come due. In 2020, the conference comes back to sacred ground in the Bay Area, a front line in the fight against HIV after 30 years. In this podcast, we'll be talking to a diversity of inspiring guests. They have been and remain at the very forefront of the ongoing fight against HIV AIDS, both at home and abroad. This is the first time, I think in history, where a single department with multiple different components of the agencies have come together simultaneously to work in synergy to an approach a problem that has been identified in a geographic and demographic way. For nearly 40 years, Dr. Fauci has been at the forefront of the fight against HIV AIDS. He served as one of the main architects of PEPFAR and the new 10-year plan to end HIV in the United States, which President Trump announced during his State of the Union address in February 2019. Dr. Fauci talks with Stephen Andrew about how the plan reprioritizes HIV diagnosis, prevention, and treatment. They also discuss the biggest obstacles and opportunities for implementation. I'm Andrew Schwartz. I'm Steve Morrison. And I'm Sarah Allender. This is AIDS 2020. Dr. Fauci, thank you so much for being here with us today. So tell me, how many presidents have you served under? Six. Six presidents. Right. I was appointed in my position as the director of NIAID under President Reagan, and I served under President Reagan, George H.W. Bush, President Clinton, George W. Bush, President Obama, and now President Trump. You've seen it all. Well, not all, but a lot. (laughs) All right. So from the beginning, you've been part of NIAID since 1984, and- your role now, can you tell us a little bit about your role now and what you're, what you're doing there now? And what, what's your primary focus these days? Well, I wear, I wear a couple of hats at the NIH. I, I'm the director of the NIAID, which is the second largest institute among the institutes with a budget of about $5.8 billion. And we're responsible for the conduct and support of the vast majority of work that is being done in basic and clinical research in infectious diseases and immune-mediated and allergic diseases. Uh, Our AIDS budget is, you know, rather substantial. If you look at the NIH's AIDS budget, it's about $3 billion. $3 billion. $3 billion. We, We are involved at every level, from the fundamental basic to the clinical work in things that have to do not only with the obvious diseases like HIV, AIDS, malaria, tuberculosis, but also emerging and reemerging infectious diseases like Ebola and Zika and West Nile. So that's one of the things we do. The other thing is that I'm, I still am an active scientist. I have a laboratory that has been involved in AIDS research literally from the very first weeks to months of the outbreak where we started studying patients even before we knew it was HIV. And I continue to do that as a person who's the head of a laboratory there. And in addition, I still see patients because I'm fundamentally a physician. So I still see patients, mostly AIDS patients. Now, Americans sometimes know you as the guy we don't want to see when there's a Zika outbreak or if there's an Ebola case. But on the other hand, 
You've been very reassuring to a lot of Americans for a very long time as a steady presence um, and a presence that people can trust. And of course, um, when it comes to AIDS research, you've been very reassuring and, and the diseases and the cures and the, the treatments for disease has come a long way. Um, tell us a little bit about where we are right now. With AIDS, we're in a very interesting situation because the science and the scientific advances that we've had over the last 38 years since we first recognized this new disease has really been nothing short of breathtaking. When you look at going from a disease that was almost uniformly fatal, not knowing what the etiologic agent was, not to mention the fact that we had no treatment for it, to today, in 2019, where you have treatments that can actually consistently in almost everyone bring down the level of virus to below detectable, which has two major impacts. One, it saves the life of the individual and allows them to lead, in most cases, an essentially normal life. But it also makes it essentially impossible for that person to transmit the virus to their sexual partner. And that's referred to as treatment as prevention. We also have very good modalities of prevention, such as pre-exposure prophylaxis. Both of those things together have led us now to realize that we have the tools to actually end the epidemic, certainly in the United States and likely in many other countries throughout the world. So it becomes an implementation challenge as much as it was a scientific challenge because the science has been so solid to give us the tools that what we need that right now the challenge is implementing. And that's the basis of the United States plan to end the epidemic, which was announced by President Trump in February of 2019 in the State of the Union address. I want to bring my colleague Steve Morrison in on that note. Um, Steve, tell us a little bit about what you know about the Trump plan. And, and I know you want to talk to Dr. Fauci about that. Well, we just had a great conversation this morning at CSIS with Dr. Redfield and and with uh, Tony Fauci around the the plan. And it's there's a map that was put up that shows the 48 counties. It includes Washington, D.C., uh, San Juan is two cities, and seven rural states. It's overwhelmingly uh, southern-based. The map is dram- a dramatic and powerful tool in conveying to a, an audience that may not be expert in any of this that this is real and it's doable. And it's a very powerful message that comes forward. It's an ambitious program. It was a surprise. I think maybe Tony can tell us a bit about how the hell did this happen? Because, you know, it's been attempted in earlier administrations to have a, a, a breakthrough, put new muscle and resources behind ending this epidemic. Tony's been in the lead in some of those earlier efforts. In this case, it worked. You got all the way to the president. It would be useful to hear, how did this happen? That's one thing. And the second is, what worries us looking ahead? And we talked earlier today, and maybe we can talk a little bit more about stigma right. as a particularly pernicious and complicated force that stands in the way, particularly in some of these southern-based communities. Just so our listeners know, the, the event Steve's referring to today, uh, Tuesday, June 4th, can be found on our website, csis.org. It's available on demand, also on our YouTube channel. 
the point that he was making as follows. Uh, we have known that we've had the tools, treatment as prevention, pre-exposure prophylaxis, a variety of the tools, if implemented properly, could actually end the epidemic. What's happened now, what's different, is a realization and a bringing together of the right people at the right time with the right facts and the right tools to be able to say, we can do this. And what Steve was referring to is that when Bob Redfield and I got together after he became the guy at his appointment as the CDC director, we said, let's take a look at this and see if we could actually get a concerted effort to really implement this. And why do we think it works or will work in the United States? And the map that Steve was talking about, it's really, it's stunning. The United States has 3,007 counties in the United States, those little boxes that you see on the map. More than 50% of all the new infections in the United States have occurred in 48 plus D.C. and San Juan, Puerto Rico. 50 locations, 50 out of 3,007. So we have a geographically concentrated epidemic. So we have a demographic concentration. It's unfortunately... 13% of our population is African-American, yet almost 50% of the new infections are among African-Americans, 60-plus percent in gay men, 75% in young people. So if you look at the population of young African-American and Latino men who have sex with men, you have almost half, if not more, of all the infections. You take the demographic concentration and the geographic concentration, and you say— if we put all our resources together and focus these tools of treatment as prevention and pre-exposure prophylaxis on those concentrated areas, if you do the modeling, you can end the epidemic. And the goal of the plan, it's a 10-year plan, is to decrease the incidence, the new infections, by 75% in five years and 90% in 10 years. So we have about 38,000 new infections each year in the United States, we want to bring that down to 3,000 or below. And I think we can do it. So say a bit more about stigma in terms of the, as you look ahead and think, well, what are going to be the greatest and most formidable challenges here? This is clearly a challenge. It's not going to be easy, but we all feel it's doable. One of the real potential obstacles is the idea of stigma. Right. Now, stigma is clearly the big enemy of public health particularly in what we're trying to do here, because getting back to that map, 50% of the infections are in the southern part of the United States and those seven states that have high rural areas where there's high infection in the rural areas. If you are an African-American young man who has sex with men in those areas, there's an extraordinary amount of stigma against you as a risk person, as an infected person, as a gay person, or as an African-American. So we're going to have to fight that stigma very, very aggressively if we're going to get this plan to work. Because these are people that are not embraced by society. Well, they're disenfranchised from society, and they've historically been that way. And you add upon it the idea of a, a, a disease that people tend to shy away from that have misinformation about. That's when you get an intensification of the stigma. And what states are these? Are, is, are we talking about the southern states in America? Southern states, yeah. 
Why is it such a high concentration in this population? Well, Lack of education? Well, it, it's a combination of things. Remember, when we first were realizing that we were dealing with a new disease, it was focused and concentrated on the inner city areas where gay men congregated, San Francisco, Los Angeles, New York City. Explosions of in cases and incidents in that areas. As the epidemic matured, we realized that, you know, there's sex universal. Men who have sex with men are distributed throughout the country. But in areas where you have disenfranchisement from health care, disenfranchisement from societal help and understanding about your situation, be it poverty, uh, be it lack of employment, being lack of access of care, all of the medical things that fuel an epidemic start to flourish. So it isn't anything that's particularly wrong or different about these individuals. It's the societal situation that they find themselves in that make it worse. It's much more difficult for an African-American man who has sex with men, who lives in a rural southern community, to be open in discussing things like risk factors and what do you do to mitigate your risk. Because there's so much stigma against you, whereas if you live in the Castro district of San Francisco or in Greenwich Village in New York City. Everybody's talking about it. Everybody is aware of it and they're talking about it. You have colleagues, you have friends that you could talk about it. When you are in a situation for a variety of societal reasons that make it that much more difficult, that's when you have a greater chance of getting infected. Now we know where the problem is. We've, we've geofenced it in, in a way, to use a, a millennial term. How are we going to attack it? Yeah, we're going to attack it by engaging the community. So you have the scientific tools. You know what you need to do to implement it. That's why we talk about when we were talking today at, our, at, at the meeting today at CSIS, that we have to very actively engage the community at the grassroots level to get them involved. And are they willing to be engaged? Absolutely. I mean, we've now... We well, that's were, the best news. Yeah, yeah. The best thing was Steve and I were talking about that is what we're doing. We were taking this plan, like, like on a road show, going around talking about it. And we're finding... This is the Tony tour. Well, no, it's not just Tony. It's a bunch of us. It's Bob. It's uh, Secretary Giroir. It's the, the George Sagunis of the uh, of the HRSA. It's the Indian Health Service. A group of us have been going around talking this up, and we're getting a very, very positive response. From Is the, the president going to get engaged? Is he going to go on tour on this? Well, he, you know, I don't, I don't think so because I think he, there are many other things that, that he's, he's sure. engaged in. But the one good thing he did is that he listened to Secretary Azar, who came to him with the plan and asked him to make a public announcement at the State of the Union address, and that's what the president did. That's We've fantastic. certainly seen this in the work that we've done in Memphis and right. Arkansas, Yeah, the interviews and filming, and as well as in Oakland and San Francisco, a lot of hope. Right. Among these populations that you that you mentioned, I want to get get back to the question of what kind of strategy do you pursue in this startup phase? Because you're going to face you're going to face certain problems. We've heard that the reported new infections are going to increase, right? right. Because you're going to be looking for them. Right. So your numbers are going to go from 40 a year to maybe 80 or higher. Mm. So that's going to require some explanation. You're going to have. 400,000 people who are out there living living with HIV or at risk of HIV who are going to be coming in right. the doors of these community centers. You're going to have 
people who are skeptical about spending any money on right. HIV and don't like it. You have people who don't like the Trump administration and be uh, skeptical that this is real on that front. You got controversy. Right, they're going to say, "How could this president possibly be helping disenfranchised right. people?" For instance, right. but but clearly, you're saying that's not the case. Steve brought up a lot of potential objections, and there is really a good counter to every one of those. So let's talk about unwillingness to spend money mm -hmm. on this particular plan. Well, if you don't spend money and you don't end the epidemic, and you do the simple math, the amount of money that you will have spent in the 10 years between now and when the goal is to get it down by 90% would completely dwarf the amount of money that we're putting into the plan. So objection number one, throw that away. This issue of people saying, well, you know, it, there's the anti-Trump administration, so therefore we don't want to get involved. This transcends administrations. This is a Clearly. public health issue. It's gonna be here after the Trump administration, it's here now with the Trump administration, and the seeds of it occurred well before the Trump administration. So I think if you try to link it to something, whether you like or don't like administration, that's not what we're all about. We're not political. We're public health people. Thank goodness. Yes. I mean, that, that's how it has to be. Yeah. It's, this is a major societal problem, and for once, maybe it doesn't need to be political. Right. Right. Let's turn our attention for a moment to the AIDS 2020, the International AIDS Conference, right. uh, July of 2020 in San Francisco and Oakland. That'll be a little over a year, so there'll be some operational realities right. in implementing this. How do you expect what you're doing here in this national plan will figure at that time? Well, I think there are going to be a couple of issues that will undoubtedly come up and at the 2020, the summer 2020 IAS uh, meeting, it'll be, you've had this plan, you've been talking about it, Let, let's see some of the results. And it's going to be interesting because as Steve said, if we were even a little bit successful in the first year, and remember, this is a 10-year plan, we're not going to get it right in the first year or the second year. And that's the reason why we talk about implementation science, to evaluate step-by-step step what we're doing and to self-correct as we go along so that by the time we're years into it, we finally are getting it right. The questions are going to be, what have you done for us lately? Mm -hmm. What are the results? The other one is the potentially paradoxical result of having 38,000 new infections a year and then finding out that when you go out into the community to do a lot of testing, the new diagnoses might go up. And right. we got to educate people into realizing a new diagnosis is not the same as a new infection. So you can have a big increase in new diagnoses because you're diagnosing people who were not realizing they were infected at the same time as you have a decrease in incidence. It seems almost oxymoronic that you could have an increase in diagnosis and a decrease in incidence, but that's what we are hoping for, that we can identify more people who are infected, hence increase in diagnosis, and we're going to decrease the actual incidence. That's what we're going to be probably talking about. Then the other thing, since this is an international AIDS conference, they're going to be the natural questions. You're doing this in the United States. Is this something that's feasible internationally? And the answer, it, it is, but it'll be more complicated because the international AIDS scene is not unidimensional. It's different for different countries. Some countries have a generalized epidemic. Some countries have a more focused epidemic. And ending the epidemic 
in the global sense will depend on the individual countries as opposed to a homogeneous global approach. Are we going to be accused of taking a taking an America first no, posture on this? No, I don't think so. I don't think so at all. Because take a look. We started and support PEPFAR. Right. That is the most impactful public health measure against a single disease in history. Right. So that has nothing to do with America. So anyone who says America first doesn't understand PEPFAR. In addition, the United States supports between 25% and one-third of all of the resources of the Global Fund to fight AIDS, tuberculosis, and malaria. So there's the answer for that. But going back to what you said before, um, the what have you done for me lately, it seems to me that part of what you're going to be facing is a PR problem. Right. And how are you going to deal with that? Well, just go with the data. Go with the facts. Explain to people what we're trying to do. This is a 10-year plan. We don't expect to have a home run in year one. Tony, just to close, can you tell us why you're so hopeful? What's the basis of your optimism? Well, it's, it's really twofold. One, as I said time and again, we absolutely have the scientific tools to do this. There is no doubt about that. I don't think there's anybody who understands scientific and health data that would argue that we have the tools to do it. We just need to implement it. The other thing is that this is the first time, I think, in history— uh, with regard to the history of HIV, where a single department with multiple different components of the agencies have come together simultaneously to work in synergy to an approach a problem that has been identified in a geographic and demographic way. We have never had that happen simultaneously at the same time. You have the CDC, you have the NIH, you have the Assistant Secretary for Health, you have HRSA, you have SAMHSA, you have the Indian Health Service, all working as a team to get this done. Dr. Fauci, thanks so much for your time today. Uh, we'll look forward to checking back in with you before the conference in 2020, and uh, keep up the good work. Thank you. It's good to be with you. Thank you for tuning in to this episode of AIDS 2020 featuring Dr. Anthony Fauci. Subscribe to the AIDS 2020 podcast to get our latest content. Visit the CSIS Global Health Policy Center events page to watch the CSIS public event featuring Dr. Fauci and CDC Director Dr. Robert Redfield. Click the title HIV AIDS in the United States, The Road to 2030.